in a profound show of resilience. The free bird leaps on the back of the wind and floats downstream till the current ends and dips his wings in the orange sun rays and dares to claim the sky. But a bird that stalks down his narrow cage can seldom see through his bars of rage. His wings are clipped and his feet are tied. So he opens his throat to sing. for you to hear this episode with Chris Schroeder from the Boston Music Project. It is packed with not only amazing ideas for educators, but also music. Let's get started. I'm Lindsay Lyons, and I love helping school communities envision bold possibilities, take brave action to make those dreams a reality, and sustain an inclusive, anti-racist culture where all students thrive. I'm a former teacher leader turned instructional coach, educational consultant, and leadership scholar. If you're a leader in the education world, whether you're a principal, superintendent, instructional coach, or a classroom teacher excited about school-wide change like I was, you are a leader. And if you enjoy nerding out about the latest educational books and podcasts, if you're committed to a lifelong journey of learning and growth and being the best version of yourself, you're going to love the Time for Teachership podcast. Let's dive in. I'm so excited to introduce to you today, Boston-based musician, educator, and arts advocate, Christopher Schroeder. He is a catalyst for social change through music and arts education. With nearly 15 years of arts leadership and teaching experience, he has successfully established programs and influenced music ecosystems within the Boston community and throughout the United States. Schroeder currently serves as the executive director of the Boston Music Project, module director for the Global Leaders Program, and is a guest conductor and education clinician with Con Selmer, Inc. Most recently, he was recognized as a Boston future leader by the Greater Boston Chamber of Commerce and a quarter finalist for the 2019 Grammy Music Educator Award. And I'm also a trumpet player, husband to amazing partner, Monica, father of really two awesome kiddos, Gray, six, uh, Magnolia, uh, two, and a recent fan of skiing, too. You know, as an educator, I've been focused on developing creative music communities that support a child's overall well-being uh, to ensure they find success in all they seek to achieve, music or otherwise. Uh, 
my primary areas of expertise are interdisciplinary curriculum design and creative self-expression through music. I am so excited to really dig into this episode with you, Chris. So I'm curious, I always start off the episode with this question, which comes from Bettina Love's work. She talks about the idea of freedom dreaming, and she describes that as dreams grounded in the critique of injustice. And so I'm curious for you um, as an educator, as a musician, what is the big dream that you hold for the field of education? Yeah, I think it's really trusting the artistic process. You know, so many times over, we see school leaders chasing the test scores uh, and imposing pressure on teachers and in turn on students to pass the test uh, at the cost of innovative, creative and inclusive learning strategies that, you know, really help to develop the whole child. We hear and see time and time again that students with access to arts education demonstrate marked improvements in cognition, growth mindset, self-confidence, communication skills, self-awareness, social skills, and the list goes on. I was witness to this firsthand in one of my first teaching jobs in Boston. Uh, I was hired as part of an initiative that brought 16 teaching artists into a school population of 178 elementary youth that would receive two hours of daily music instruction, if you can imagine. Uh, not only did they sound amazing and not just for their age, uh, there was you know, a stark improvement in ELA and math scores after just the first year. Uh, and again, another spike in the second year. So you know, part of that secret sauce was that they had you know, invested in curriculum designers, in teaching artists to develop music-infused academic curriculum that bridged academic and musical experiences throughout the entire school day. And you know, after two years, we had fourth grade groups performing original blues compositions on the House of Blues Boston uh, stage for a you know, packed house of fellow youth. Uh, however, you know, what I have also witnessed are school leaders making, you know, albeit uh, challenging decisions to bring in school counselors and academic tutors to drill academic concepts with one-on-one isolated learning environments. Uh, An alternative would be to bring in talented teaching artists and creatives to unpack challenging academic concepts through multiple literacies, exploring social concerns through music and artistic activities, embracing the notion that we all learn differently and our systems for education uh, and for educating our youth should you know really reflect those differences. I'm trying to find something to say that is more profound than that just sounds so cool, but that just sounds so cool, the things <laughs> that you are doing. And so as we think about all the things that are being kind of integrated into that introduction and that dream that you have, I think one of the things I've been thinking a lot about are you know, the mindsets that teachers have and specifically around this idea of teaching for justice, teaching for you know student wellness, and how to actively and cohesively integrate all that stuff into one lovely curriculum package. So we have current events, we have activism, we have projects, we have doing things for the purpose beyond a grade, we have social emotional learning. And so I feel like you have great examples of this. What I'm particularly thinking of the last time we spoke is the original music that students created in response to the shooting at Marjorie Soman Douglas High School. And I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about that project and the impact that it had. Sure. 
part of that, you know, just, just as a, as a preface to all of that too, is, is, um, this notion of flexibility, you know, I know it's difficult you know, for educators to trust, you know, again, this artistic process, but, you know, this is a perfect example of, of doing just that. And I was doing it very much on the fly. We had began this exercise with our group of students uh, in seventh grade. It was kind of a, a motley crew. You know, there were like three trombones, one beginning clarinetist, a trombone player or a trumpet player, a couple drummers. And they were, you know, in some ways, the complement to our, you know, advanced eighth grade wind ensemble. And we would rehearse the same music, but they would be missing all the flute parts. They would be missing all the other clarinet and all the harmony parts, et cetera. And so I started on this path of trying to give them a, a sense of identity uh, and showing them various ensembles uh, that have really unique instrumentation. So you know, listening to like Ensemble McNawooge, um, you know, for example, was, was, one, uh, was one group, Snarky Puppy, uh, another one where, you know, there was all these blends and fusion, you know, kind of sounds. Um, Ensemble McNawooge, cellist, violinist, uh, pianist, Kim Juwan, uh, who's the leader of the band. There's also an opera singer, uh, a hip hop uh, a rapper, a spoken word hype man, uh, you name it. It's just kind of this eclectic um, uh, group. And so we started down this path of investigating these types of ensembles and dissecting the music. Uh, so looking at Snarky Puppy and you know, the first section is, you know, introduction and then followed by, you know, the, the head or the A theme and then a breakdown section, you know, et cetera. And in that process, we got to the stage where we were ready to compose music. And the next day uh, we you know, heard this you know, awful news of this tragedy that had taken place uh, down in Florida. And, you know, of course, you know, if you were an educator at the time in the classrooms, it was a really un unsettling time because we kept seeing this issue, you know, rise, uh, rise up again and again. And the question of, you know, are the, are the, the doors, you know, locked? Are, is the building secure? Is the, you know, the, the well-intended and very sweet, you know, um, front door person who answers the phones and so, and so forth equipped to dealing with, you know, one of these, um, you know, folks or groups coming into the building. And so we had to pause, uh, put the lessons aside and talk to the kids, you know, just about this whole experience. But what came out of that was somewhat of a call to action. And at the same time too, where there was buzz around the school walkout and, um, you know, the March for Our Lives, you know, et cetera. And it's felt like not only did we at this point have the skills to compose and create music, but we had a reason to do it. And in doing so, established ourselves as, as having this identity, you know, this greater purpose, the seventh grade Motley crew, uh, being able to create music that, that could actually you know, reach a, a number of people. And in short, we put this project together. It was inspired by text um, from one of the mothers who um, had shared just kind of a, a personal account and, and her frustrations over wanting a, a call to action or wanting people to, to do something. They didn't want thoughts and prayers. They didn't need the thoughts and prayers. They wanted action. And that resonated with our students. And so we used uh, this phrase, you know, um, we need a call to action. We don't need thoughts and prayers as um, somewhat of a rhythmic and melodic energy 
to compose uh, a song. And it turned out to be a, an activist song that was called to action. And um, we performed it on Facebook or it went out through the Facebook channel through the school. And lo and behold, uh, one of the uncles of, of a, a child that had lost their lives heard about this, this piece and shared it with the family. And then they uh, shared an exchange with the students uh, back in Boston. And that was really powerful you know, for the students to know that that they actually had some sort of impact you know, on those communities down in Florida. And then from that too, we had another group reach out. It was a, a honk band or a, a kind of activist band based in Seattle uh, that reached out to the band and said, hey, um, we, we really dug that chart. Could you lift it for us? You know, and that opened up a whole other activity, which was transcribing uh, a piece of music that the students had composed using you know, graphic notation. So we were able to, in some ways, reverse engineer, um, you know, the composition process, creating it and then uh, notating it so that others could enjoy it. I love so many pieces about what you said in that, like beyond the project itself, I was just writing down the words you used. You were saying there was right a moment to put the lesson aside. So there was that acknowledgement that we have to actually sit down and talk about what's happening in the world. But then you also have that return to the lessons and that usefulness of the lessons in the call to action. So you noted that they had the skills to compose and now they have a reason to do so. And that not only are they 
becoming uh, youth activists, right? But this informs their identity as activists, the work that you're doing in the classroom. And so I just love that as a model, no matter what people are teaching for teachers to be able to say, wow, we can help our students have this identity, grow this identity. And it doesn't need to be a permanent departure from the curriculum. There's this moment of pause and then there's this returning and using the current event as a reason to do and apply the skills in real life. And so I just thank you for sharing it in that way as well, because I think it illuminates what's possible for other educators. Sure. If we could just walk through, you know, the lessons that go into having students create original music and, and is responsive to what is happening in the world, kind of what does that unit arc look like? Maybe we could use the Caged Bird album unit. Uh, yeah, sure. So the work that we do in Boston at Boston Music Project is centered around uh, ensemble-based learning. Uh, it's also uh, social-emotional learning, um, civic action, and creative self-expression. So, you know, the program itself, a wraparound service for Boston Public Schools, um, is, is committed to these four elements within our program. And so as such, you know, we're creating opportunities, we're trying to find opportunities where we can have a deeper impact through music, you know, through the arts, and you know, hopefully increase school attendance. Um, of course, develop self-confidence. You know, in, in the pursuit of of self-expression, um, and you know, put out a a professional product that the students really feel proud of, and and inspire them to you know continue you know on this path. And Cage Bird, in a lot of ways, was a project that started back in October uh, with this kind of basic desire of how can we get kids engaged virtually? Uh, how can we support a, you know, this, this, um, what is a massive challenge that I know a lot of music specialists are dealing with, which is, you know, being, being sent, you know, 25, 30 kids in one room uh, for, you know, 90 minutes, uh, twice a week. And, you know, a lot of them don't have instrumental uh, experience or they have minimal instrumental experience. It's just difficult. And so with Boston Music Project, we put a group of four teaching artists, uh, myself included, uh, into this space where we could essentially triage a, uh, an eighth grade um, beginner band class. And we had great support um, from Teresa Herfindahl, the uh, BPS music teacher there, and just finding out what was going to be the most interesting project for the students. Um, and it seemed like digital music composition was uh, the, the path. So we started out with this idea of how can we tackle this, this, this massive challenge of the, the pandemic, uh, being stuck inside, you know, not being able to go anywhere. And in October and still now, it's, it's, a, it's a scary place. And, you know, you, you don't know if you, do, you can go outside or how, you know, what's the, you know, all the protocols and so forth. And so we wanted to be able to take a moment, you know, talk about the, the challenges that students are going through reflect on this notion of being free and identify ways to persevere during moments when one feels caged. And the conversations in the beginning were, you know, like, who are you? What are you most interested in? What are you excited about? Just trying to get them uh, to open up to us a little bit. So we were opening up to them, sharing our musical inspirations, pieces of music that we really enjoy listening to and learning from them, you know, opening up that dialogue as much as possible. And, you know, I'll be honest, we were dealing with challenges that I know a lot of educators were dealing with, black screens, 
Um, you know, uh, some were engaging in the chat, you know, to a, a little bit. Um, if we asked a question, we were getting thumb, you know, up and down emojis. Uh, and then some were just, just not, you know, present. And so the first few lessons were centered around just getting to know the kids and starting to introduce this concept of, of digital music composition uh, to them. And about four sessions in, we decided to break up the groups into smaller chunks and have one teaching artist work with a particular group of uh, students. And that enabled us to reach the students a little bit. We could, could have some just longer conversations with the students um, and at least encourage a little bit more of kind of an intimate, um, you know, connection. So, you know, building this, this smaller knit, you know, community um, with a teaching artist and about five or six youth. Then we started to dig in a little bit more to digital music composition. We're using Soundtrap uh, for a lot of this. And it still felt like we were missing something. And so we decided to look at some poetry. And one of the, the first pieces of poetry that, that popped up in our search was Maya Angelou's Cage Bird, or I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. And, you know, right away, it felt like this is exactly what we're looking for. And so rather than just trying to unpack the pandemic, trying to, you know, learn all of these, uh, you know, the inner, inner thoughts and emotions of these youth that we just barely have connected with, we thought we'd use poetry. Uh, as a as a way to inspire all of us. And so each of the groups took a stanza and began to unpack. What does this stanza mean to you? Uh, in the larger flow of the piece, what does this stanza represent in the, in, the, in the larger poem? And from there, we decided to create these smaller movements, um, these soundscapes that would bring each of the stanzas to life. We were identifying, you know, certain adjectives. Is this happy? Is it sad? And in music, is that major or minor? Or is it pentatonic and whole tone? Like what are the, you know, the specific musical terms that equate to some of those uh, descriptors? And then, you know, we basically started with this uh, kind of a feeling. And from there, picked a loop that best connected with how we felt about the text. That established essentially a soundscape or baseline for it. And we established a, a pulse, you know, that was associated with the mood. And then we started to get into the text, which lines of text connected with a, a child more than, than, than another. And from it, we were able to create these small little phrases, these fragments um, that gave a little bit, you know, additional meaning to uh, the stanzas and from there compose uh, melodies based on those lines of text. So one of the first melodies that we came up with was inspired by a phrase that is not um, from Maya Angelou. It's a combination of one line of text from a first part of stanza three, and then I think it's like the third line of that same stanza, but it seemed to make sense in terms of the context. And so I'll play what we recorded uh, and then obviously you hear a little bit of voice modulation with it. But this is essentially the muse that set the entire piece in motion. For the caged bird sings of freedom, but his tune is heard on the distant hill. 
So for the caged bird sings of freedom, but his tune is heard on the distant hill. And that turned into a trumpet melody that sounds like this. And then we added a counter harmony. So that's Brandon Vallel playing trumpet there is one of our collegiate interns um, from Berkeley. And so all of it together then with the soundscape and the bass line and the rain and um, all the other bits sounds like this. So that was one section of, of the fourth movement, which is essentially serving as a reprise um, of the first movement, which mimics the overall structure of Maya Angelou's poetry. So, you know, if you break down the text, there are six verses. Two of them we essentially viewed as prologue. Uh, and we were so uh, lucky to have the superintendent for Boston Public Schools read the prologue for us. And then the third stanza is the same as the sixth stanza. And then the inner two stanzas are talking about the free bird and then the grave of dreams. And so trying to create this piece, we were also thinking about the overall structure from a macro sense of this poetry. Uh, and that, you know, ideally, well, hopefully, uh, we, we've created that, you know, with this five movement structure uh, with a little bit of a reprise and then the very end, which is called profound resilience, um, which, you know, really speaks to what we're all doing, you know, right now uh, at, this, at this time. Uh, with the pandemic and all the challenges that, that we've all faced, you know, from one degree to the next. I love that there is so much in here. There's the starting with our real life experience with students, getting to know students, um, speaking to the moment. And then there is the technical pieces of we're, we're talking about music. Like, what is this stuff called? Let's talk about vocabulary. Let's see it in action. Let's then apply all of that stuff and create. And so th there's this beautiful unit arc that, again, I think I'm thinking just as a former literacy teacher, if I'm an English teacher who isn't really sure, you know, what to do with music, I could still try to emulate this kind of project 
I'm thinking too, as an English teacher potentially listening or any teacher listening, there might be the question of how have you been able to do this work virtually in a virtual space? And so I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit to that. I mean, I, I really think one of the biggest things that's, that's helpful, of course, is, is we had you know, support from our teaching artists. Um, you know, uh, Josh Wareham, who's our music technology specialist, uh, which is a, a new position uh, as of you know, essentially April of, of last year. Um, and then Minjin Chung, who's a cellist teaching artist with Boston Music Project. Uh, the, the two of them really helped in the different movements. Um, and, you know, Josh unpacking Soundtrap for the kids, Minjin working with a, uh, one of the groups on the, the Freebird track. Having that additional support is, of course, helpful. Um, but the, the process still, that was somewhat of an expedited, you know, experience uh, working with those students once a week. The goal, you know, for, for us is to have, you know, teaching artists that's working in collaboration with an academic teacher in, you know, more of a, you know, twice to three times a week. And if you have that kind of consistency uh, with a little bit of creative um, projects woven in throughout this day of English language arts or science, you know, et cetera, then, you know, just think of the, the creative output, you know, that you could produce. Um, so I think the process is really replicable with minimal support from uh, a music specialist with you know a really specific lens on what the product uh, the music product will be and uh, and what the content or what what has inspired the content you know in this case uh, my angelou's uh, cage bird you know teaching in the virtual spaces you know pre presents a number of challenges but at the same time there are also things that are really uh, really much the same, you know, in terms of, you know, in-person versus uh, hybrid versus uh, uh, totally virtual. Um, you know, some of the things that remain the same are, you know, setting up routines, uh, clear expectations, you know, within those, um, the classes and so forth. If you establish those routines, then you immediately provide opportunities for student-driven uh, behavior. You know, so if, if every single morning you start out with a, you know, a mindfulness minute, or you start out with, you know, a, a basic warm up on your instrument, or you know, perhaps a poetry read aloud. You know, there's structures in which the students become familiar with, and and they themselves can lead those activities. You know, as as the group gets more comfortable with uh, with that, and that's one of the things actually we started out with each session, either Josh or Minjin or myself uh, or Brandon uh, and Teresa too. All of us would share one piece of music or two pieces of music that that we really enjoy one day we were talking about method sampling uh, and so in the first movement of this piece you'll see uh, you'll hear a, a small clip uh, from from a track um, entitled cage bird uh, that we used as um, a, a bit of a method sample uh, to open up the beginning of this so people if they're familiar with modern day hip-hop they're going to hear uh, a little snippet from uh, a track called cage bird so Having those structures in the virtual space in the same way that you would do in a, in a uh, in-person uh, setting is really helpful um, to just establish routine, you know, and that consistency and that safe space uh, that, that I know all of us are striving for, uh, whether we're in person or uh, virtual. Thank you so much. And I love how you brought it back to, right? We would do this if we were in person too. So just think about the things that we're trying to emulate and, and maybe the technical pieces are different in a virtual setting, but we're still trying to do the same thing. We're still trying to set the stage, get them familiar with the routine, have that comfort 
Absolutely. So I'm curious to know what's one thing if listeners listening to this episode are, are thinking about doing something in response to hearing the beautiful stuff that, that you've just shared that you've done with these students, um, what's something that they can do to respond to the needs of the students in their classes and enable their students to be able to express their full selves, their full humanity in class like you were able to do here? You know, ask them what they want. Give them a bit more control in their lives, at least at school. Uh, you know, as a parent, you know, myself, I can say with confidence that there are many challenges uh, with, with being at home and working uh, and having, you know, two kids, no less, you know, doing similar things. There's, there's a little bit of lack of, of freedom and, and me time. You know, so creating that opportunity for self-expression, you know, whether it's creating art, music, poetry, free, free writing, you know, interpretive dance, even in your, you know, academic classes, what, how does this, you know, text to make you want to move, uh, just do something that allows you to be spontaneous, inspired, um, truly free. I love that suggestion because I feel like it doesn't take a lot of time either. That is something that anyone can invite students to be able to do. And it takes maybe two minutes if you wanted it to just take that short amount of time. So thank you for that. Um, as a final closing, I think, you know, we're always constantly learning, growing as educators, we're constantly trying to, you know, be the best educators we can be. And I'm curious to know just what's something you have been learning about lately, or, you know, something you've been working on to help other educators or, or people grow their practice. You know, we, we talk a lot about social emotional learning at Boston Music Projects. In fact, we, we even hired an SEL specialist to help translate SEL concepts into musical activities. And through this research and uh, working with uh, Marlena Marquardt on this on this project, I find myself practicing the the skills of social emotional learning, uh, being more self aware, uh, being more you know, conscientious of the group, uh, responsible decision making, making and, and so forth. And you know, to be clear, I'm not saying that I'm good at it. Uh, and in fact, it's one of those you know beautiful reminders uh, as we're diving into social emotional learning even more. Um, that, you know, we never stop learning. Um, and the skills of social emotional learning are ones that uh, I think all of us could, could refresh, you know, in some ways, uh, in just our, our regular practices uh, as, as humans uh, and professionals. Finally, where can listeners learn more about you or connect with you or even work with you or your teaching artists? Sure. Um, so you can always visit... Uh, bostonmusicproject.org on the internet. Uh, and we have our social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter. Uh, our handle is uh, at Boss Music Project, uh, B-O-S Music Project. Um, and, you know, of course, you can reach out to uh, me, uh, my personal email, and I'm, I'm happy to, to share that um, uh, with you, Lindsay. Awesome. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Chris, for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. This is really great. In a profound show of resilience, the free bird leaps on the back of the wind and floats downstream till the current ends and dips his wings into orange sun rays and dares to claim the sky.
the cage bird sings with a fearful trill, but things unknown belong to her still, and his tune is heard on the distant hill, for the cage bird sings a free. listening to music because I feel like I'm in a different soul. The time where I feel free is when I'm in my room by myself. I'm listening to music with headphones on is my escape. When I feel stressed, I listen to music alone in my room. The feeling of freedom is a very rare thing. If you loved this episode, you can share it on social media and tag me at Lindsay Beth Lyons or leave a review of the show so leaders like you will be more likely to find it. To continue the conversation, you can head over to our Time for Teachership Facebook group and join our community of educational visionaries. Until next time, leaders, continue to think big, act brave, and be your best self. Mm -hmm.